The question is, today, in the remote world and in, in the world where there's so much information available, there is a rise of community-led growth. Are we using the right go-to-market motion? Are we, are we focused on the right strategy? Do our buyers buy this way? Do we need to find and build a community as opposed to hiring 10 salespeople because that's all we know? You're listening to GTM Disrupted with Mike Smart of Egress Solutions. Learn how product management and product marketing thought leaders are rethinking their business strategies to thrive in a world of radical change. Hi, my name is Mike Smart and welcome to Go to Market Disrupted. Today we are chatting with Sangram Vajray, CEO of GTM Partners. That's a data-driven go-to-market analyst firm that helps organizations achieve efficient growth by transforming their GTM strategy. Sangram is also the author of two books. The most recent one is a Wall Street bestseller entitled Move, the four-question go-to-market framework. He hosts a long-running podcast by the same name. Previously, Sangram was co-founder of Terminus Software. Sangram has been at the forefront of B2B marketing trends for a long time, driving initiatives like Flip My Funnel and defining the account-based marketing category. He's also a sought-after keynote and international speaker. When Sangram is not driving massive shifts in the B2B world, he is an engaged family man and an active community member and volunteer. Today, we're going to talk about new approaches to go to market, how CEOs, CXOs, and C-suite leaders from the industry's high growth companies unify teams and adopt new strategies to drive and sustain growth. Sangram, I'm really pleased, pleased to have you here today. I really thank you for taking the time to join us. We want to hear what you have to say, share your insight and your experience. Well, Mike, so I'm get- excited too, right? Like this is apparently go to market is the talk of the town. So I feel like the right place, right time. And I'm excited for the audience to hopefully get some new insights because I'm seeing so much going on in the space right now. So let's dive in. That's fantastic. Before we do that, I gave a thumbnail of your background. I always like to ask people like yourself who's accomplished a lot and doing a lot in the life experience world. Share with the listeners your path. How did you get here? What what some of the things that brought you to this point? Part of it is honestly, a lot of people look at this and and and, and thank you for sharing that. It also is embarrassing to be on the other side to listen to to it. So I'm sorry for everybody who had to to listen through it, but it it paints a picture. And I feel I remember the first time I got into part out or marketing was was because I was just talking to the head of part out, the founder of part out. Just every other month, I would just grab lunch with that person. I will just get to know that person. Uh, we we're building something. I was a marketing person somewhere else. And we talked almost for a, for a year, just out of curiosity, getting to know the person, no strings attached. And when the person was ready, he, he just said, hey, do you want to come and run marketing at Pardot? And we're like, sure, why not? Thanks. Uh, and that really started the first foray into the whole B2B world for me, and then we got acquired by Salesforce. And then there was a moment where we were looking at, my team was looking at, we generated a ton of leads. And my head of sales said to me, can you generate more leads? And I'm like, no, we just generated 10,000 leads. Like, you know, just have the sales process. I thought salespeople are crazy at that time. And then realized that, oh, it's not the salesperson is crazy. And it's not the marketing is great. We, we just don't have the alignment. We're not focused on the right accounts. That led me to start a company called Terminus, 
uh, with the whole account-based idea. And then eight years doing that, uh, I realized that, oh, retention is an issue. And I'm like, well, the sale, the customer success people are crazy. They don't know how to keep the customers. They don't know how to retain and realize that, no, it's not that the customers uh, success people are crazy. Is that it's it, we've been focused too long on a marketing problem or a sales problem or a CS problem. But really what we all have is a go-to-market problem, which led to the book move. So in a long-winded way, I think it's been a series of misunderstandings on my part of what the world is and learning from it and saying, you know what? I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution that led me to do some of the things I've done. So if we drill in on some of the ideas in your book, I'd like you to maybe share some of the things that I, at least I pulled out and it was, it hit right home was this idea of this go-to-market framework. And then what you've identified is some, especially working in some of these large complex organizations work as the real challenge there. I guess what I'm really asking is since it's not a sales problem, and it's not a customer success problem, and it's not a marketing problem, how do you shape the problem so that leaders understand they have to do something different? Yeah, and it, you know, I, honestly, that's really led me to start go-to-market partners because that's a very fair question, Mike. All of us are saying, okay, fine, fine, we got a problem, we got a go-to-market problem, but where, what conversation do we have? And in a research we recently did that we can, be, you know, we can make it available for all the people in the show notes and everywhere, that we found that there are really bespoke 15 go-to-market problems. I haven't found a 16th one. So if you find it, Mike, or if anybody points out, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll look for I'll it. I'll defer to you because 15 sounds like a lot to tackle, yeah. right? <laughs> right. And those are 15 bespoke go-to-market problems. So I'll give you a few examples of it. Uh, one, one of the problems is, is your churn is killing your business. That's a bespoke go-to, it's not a customer success problem. Going back to our thesis on this, it's a go-to-market problem. And sometimes people look at that and saying, we need to fire the sales, the customer success team. But the reality is maybe you got the wrong customers. Maybe you're going after the right wrong ICP. Maybe the product that you're selling is, is an enterprise and you're selling to SMB. There are a myriad of other things that could be wrong there, but that's not how we look at it. So if your churn is getting your business, you have to go back and look at it as a go-to-market problem and solve it as it. Uh, another example um, that I hear is, is a lot like, hey, we want to go from a problem market fit to a product market fit or from a product market fit to a platform company. And a lot of times we'll be looking at them and saying, well, you got a feature. It's not even a product yet. And, you know, so we have to, to, be, a, we have to be humble enough to understand where really the problem is um, so these 15 go-to-market problems is really helping people understand and answer the question you asked, where is the problem? How do we verbalize it so we can collectively start answering and solving for it? Share with us the four-question framework. I know you've touched on some of it, but slow us down. Walk us through this so that oh, totally. our listeners start asking the right questions so that you're looking for a mindset shift to approach the problem differently. Oh, totally. So... Interesting, just a tidbit for people who haven't read the book yet, and even people who have read the book, we started with 50 questions, actually. I think, to be honest, 51. And we were asking these 51 questions to people like Brian Halligan, who was the CEO of HubSpot, to VC, of, uh, like Kelly Ford, who has done 200 exits, uh, to Nick Mehta, who runs Gainsight, for example, to CMOs like Megan Eisenberg and Sydney Sloan, to category creators like Christopher Lockett. And we were just 
asking this, like, all right, help us understand how do you define who owns it? Like, what, what, uh, what, what, what metrics should you be talking about? And thank God, Mike, that we came down to realization only after literally five or six interviews that really everybody's talking about just four questions. Just four questions. So we had to cut it down the 51 to four, which made the interview so much more easier, quite honestly. <laughs> but they just had a different way of saying the same four questions. And here is right. the, before we get into the framework, here's the most amazing part. And again, I thank God for that, is the four questions are the same, but your answers could be different. So hear me out Anymore. again. Say it, say, come on, break it down for us, please. Unpack that. The four questions are the same, but your answers could be different. So for example, the MOVE framework stands for market, operations, velocity, and expansion. Market, operations, velocity, and expansion. It's very easy to, to remember it. So for, let's just take market. In, the, in a problem market fit, which is early stage companies, the question is still the same. Hey, who do I market to? And the answer at that time is like, well, anybody who has a pulse, right? Because you are just trying to get your name out. Uh, but then you slowly start recognizing, okay, I tested here, I tested here. Oh, boom, financial services for this particular size business. It just works. Okay, they love our product. We solve their problem. It is a match. Now you get to what we call the product market fit. So the question is still, who do we market? Now you have an answer for that question as a financial services so-and-so. But let's say you grow the company from, let's say, nothing to 20 million to, let's say, 50 million. And now you're asking the same question, though. Who do we market? Well, at this point, as you go from product to platform, your answer is going to be different because you're going to have a thousand customers. You may have four different product lines. And now you need to still continue to ask the question, who do we market to for this particular product in this particular segment to drive this kind of outcome? So your questions remain the same, which was the most amazing uh, aha moment for me. But your answers will change based on the stage of the business you're in. So I want to pivot a little bit and ask the question, because we have people that are listening to this that are C-suite execs, but many of them are not. How do I begin to move my organization or my team into this if it's not a top-down initiative? Can we do anything about this? before our CEO becomes aware or how do we even bring this problem and let them become aware? That's really Mike. the question. Yeah, that's a, such a good question, Mike, because here, here's a, here's a, here, this goes back to the introduction that we had. I happen to be at the forefront of m marketing automation with Pardot, then ABM with Terminus, and now with uh, GTM Partners with for Go to Market. So in all of these things, here is the interesting part. For marketing automation to be sold, when 10, 15 years ago, when we were talking about marketing automation the being the next big thing, because all we had was email back then, uh, they, the conversation was still at the manager level it, it, because they were just trying to get more leads using marketing automation and nurture them. And that was the focus of it. So it didn't really require a C-level transformation of your business. When it came come to ABM and account is marketing, as companies started to look at, it still stays at maybe director VP level because you're still talking about marketing and sales alignment. You're talking about accounts. You're talking about tiering. You're talking about segmentation. All those things are more tactical in nature, still at a high level strategic yes. account management, but still you got to get in and do day-to-day day -day thing. Gosh, I will never forget this, Mike. Brian Halligan, the CEO of HubSpot, when I asked this, the question of, who owns go-to-market? Because we would ask that question to everybody. He didn't even blink. And he said, I own it. 
And I'm like, whoa, 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 Brian, look, you, you know, I know you're a founder. You guys went from zero to now a public company. You have 100,000 plus customer, billions in valuation, uh, public company, everything. I understand the buck stops at you, but that's not what I'm asking. I'm like, who wants He's like, no, Sangram, you didn't understand what I'm saying. I own go-to-market as a CEO. So I did ask the same thing, which you would probably well, we'll just break it down for me. He said, there are only three things as a CEO I own. Number one, I own the vision for the company. I have to articulate that over and over and over again to my partners, to my customers, to my team members, to investors, everybody. I have to be the one that leaders are repeaters, right? Number two, we now beyond that is culture. I want to get the right people in the company because no matter if I don't have the right people, no matter what the vision is, it's not going to happen. But number three, he said, this is where I get no credit for and no CEO ever gets credit for is go to market. And he defined go to market in one word. You ready for this, Mike? Let's one have word. And it's on the back of the book. It's in as part of his quote. He said, go to market is like building a product. And what he meant by that, as we dive into, is what it's an iterative process. Every yes. day, how do you make a decision between do I spend, give more money to sales or marketing? That's a go-to-market decision. So HubSpot had to make a decision. Are they going to have spend money on building agencies or are they going to hire a lot of salespeople to do that? That's a go-to-market decision. If you want to open up an office in EMEA and APAC versus stay in North America, that's a go-to-market decision. So it, it expanded my view. And I hope that's the uh, that's the case for everybody in the audience is that hopefully this conversation expands your view as it did for me that go-to-market is way bigger than a tactic that or a campaign or a program. Uh, and I think the answer you got from the HubSpot CEO is the correct one. Now, the pivotal question is you've asked this question among C-suite executives. How many of them percentage-wise would you say land on that answer? Ooh, well, I'll give you even one better, Mike. When I asked, I'm not going to name names now. I'm going to stop naming names on this one because the answer is not pretty. When I would ask the CEO something, and they will typically CEOs would say, yeah, I own it. When I talk to their CMO, CRO, or talk to different levels, they have a mixed answer. Yes. They, a lot of times, marketing will think, well, go to market. So market is in my title, so I own it. Couldn't be wrong. You're the Marketing is the greatest facilitator of go to market. That's right. Um, you think about a, a, a lot of times sales and revenue leaders, like salespeople, they would say, well, I own it because I have the sales team and sometimes even have CS team. I'm the revenue leader. I would go to market. Well, you're the orchestrator of it. You still don't own it because if you could make the decision to change the compensation of your peer, you own it. But most likely you can't. Only the CEO can. So to answer your earlier question even more deeply, the way if you're not a CC executive or someone who's trying to, to, to change the transformation, this is a transformation mm -hmm. question. This is a change management question. So it has to, you have to elevate, which is why those 15 go-to-market problems is probably one of the best things we have seen being used where you go to the next meeting. My challenge to everybody is go to the next meeting with those 15 go-to-market problems and have your team, the executive level team or uh, a next tier team say, hey, how like what problems do we have? Not what problem is with marketing or sales, but what problems we as a company have. And when you have that level of conversation, I think it changes the, the, the overall ethos of how you want to solve it. 
Egress Solutions is a high-touch product growth and market success consultancy. Since 2009, Egress Solutions has had successful engagements with the top technology organizations, delivering insights into buyer preferences, product market fit, product management, and go-to market excellence. Egress Solutions accelerates top-line growth and market success for our clients. Go to www.egresssolutions.net to learn more. So here's an interesting, I, you're out on the forefront and I'm glad to have you for this conversation because I'm, I'm talking to somebody who's seen this for a while and you're pushing forward. The rest of our industry is like catching the drift of what you're doing. I'm gonna put myself in a category. We're not there yet. Share some tidbits with us. You just did one, which I think is really powerful. Yeah. Start with the questions, start socializing the questions, not finger pointing, not blame game, but zero in on the problems as organizational problems. So here's an ask. How far down in your organization can that be effective just to change mm -hmm. the conversation? Does it stop at the C-suite? Can it go the next level down? Can it go down to the departmental level? What are you thinking? What's your thinking on that? Well, because it's a transformational change, leadership has to adopt it and, and rally behind it. If you are at a manager level today, the, you no matter how excited you are about it, it's going to be hard change for you to do. What you need to do if you're at a manager level or director level is to champion and find a way to get a C-suite person to champion this with you. Uh, because this is transformation. You got to have a sponsor. Right. You got to have a sponsor because this is this is not adding a new tool. To your your business this is not about oh we need to just test this thing you know this is changing the mindset of how we think about the problems we have and how we want to solve for it now here's here's another big shift that has happened in the marketplace that not many people are are getting a grasp around you and i and maybe most people listening to this grew up in the inbound and even outbound culture well that's all it was those were the two big go-to-market motions Create an inbound, you know, leads come in, marketing automation, try to churn out, hire a bunch of SDRs, do outbound. Like that's the world most of us have seen and grown, and there's data and frameworks for it. The question is, today, in the remote world and in, in the world where there's so much information available, there is a rise of community-led growth. There is a rise of ecosystem-led growth. There are businesses that are spinning out that are immediately being $10 million companies that we're seeing that, that because their go-to-market motion is not inbound, not outbound, but PLG or, or ecosystem-led or community-led. So the big challenge for everybody right now is what product are you selling? How are your buyers buying thing? And if you understand that, then you, the question you need to ask is like the, the old tricks that we knew, are they going to still work? Maybe the answer is yes for some, but I would say seven out of 10 times, most companies are not even asking that question. Are we using the right go-to-market motion? Are we, are we focused on the right strategy? Do our buyers buy this way? Do we need to find and build a community as opposed to hiring 10 salespeople because that's all we know? That's what's changed in go-to-market so much, Mike. You know, there's two data points I have that I think are just phenomenal support and examples of what you're saying specific to the world that I operate in, which is more product management, product, product marketing. And that is look at the success of the product marketing alliance in just three years, mm -hmm. right? There's a community 
that saw a need, a pain point among product marketers. And I don't know what the final count is on their community or what they have in Slack, but it is one of the largest communities that has grown out of just exactly what you said. So the power of the community is absolutely there. The second one was something I was talking to a colleague of mine, and there's a product management platform, software platform company called Product Board. They bought a product management, they acquired a product management community. Mm. And he said, why would they do that? I said, because they figured out their go-to-market constraint. They own a, buying a community, and I don't know what they paid for it, buying a community, and I believe they bought mine the product, buying the community gave them access to absolute correct, straight up direct ICPs, the perfect candidates for them, right? So- Totally. I mean, you think about a real, another example that most people probably know, Outreach. You know, it's a very well-known sales platform out there. And there's SalesLoft. I live in Atlanta. I know SalesLoft is based here out of Atlanta. Outreach bought a sales hacker. Sales hacker was a sales community. So Outreach as a sales platform was sponsoring sales hacker events for years. And then they realized that, well, you know, we either we could go and build a competing another community or we would just absorb this existing community that is thriving and own it. And they own it and they did not. Try to try to shove the product in the community. They right. just mine no. all the content. No, that that's the that's the key to the strategy, right? Yes. It is an acquisition for the strength of what the community provides, and nothing else. So that becomes your your outreach, your way of normalizing the relationship with you and potential buyers. Not yeah. by trying to drive them to do anything, just by supporting it. That's exactly yeah. right. Now, here, here's the kicker on this one, Mike. Okay. If a marketer goes and says, hey, go, we need to build a community, maybe they would start it and maybe they would have a little bit of success. But if the leadership is not bought into community-led growth is a way to go because that's where our ICP is, that is going to fall because you are with, you're up the creek without a paddle at that point trying to get this thing done. So this is an executive transformational business change. Share with us successes you've seen. Things that you've seen and engaged in where the transformation took place and there were some some really good outcomes. Please. I'd love, love to share that. So one of the companies we work with is called Sales Intel. Sales Intel is a company that's literally going after Zoom Info, like straight up. They're saying, hey, they have data. We have data. We want to do this. How do we go about this? Right. And what we have been helping them think through is that, all right, well, who, who one good thing and direct answer. And this is what people need to think about is. It's a great thing. You already have a market. Don't, that's a good thing. There's a market already created for it. Don't sweat having, there's no such thing as category of one. So it's a good thing. It's just to realize that it's a good thing to be in a pro, in, a, in a market where there are people are already buying. They understand it. But the, then now the problem really that you have is that it's a commoditized business. It is somewhere people just know you can just buy data and data is not all good and people are just living with that problem. So now what do you got to do? You got to change the game. You got to change the messaging. You got to, put zero in on what do you solve specifically. So without giving too much details about that particular business model is we were helping them to think about the exact verticals that they should go after that are, that are untapped, but the problem exists. They're using the same tools, but they have untapped verticals, untapped forces that they can address it. That has changed the way they are going to market today. So instead of just doing physical events, they're doing more virtual events that are focused on that ICP that they want. In many ways, they built a mini community 
without even calling it a community because there were too many communities to do. So in many ways, you have to choose a lot and you have to make a decision on what go-to-market motion you need to go after. Sales Intel, I think in the last, uh, they, they provided, they actually did a press release on it. We can put that in the show notes of how in the- Absolutely, will. They, they literally changed from Q3 to Q1. They, they got over, uh, they reduced the cost per spend by 62%. And they're increasing the lead volume because they're focused on it is over 100. percent You're le- you're leading my next question because what people are going to ask: Show me the ROI. Yeah. And how long is the journey? Transformation is hard. Change management is an overused term, and people it's sort of like carving a carving out a trail across the continent, right? People yeah. get lost along the way, and they end up staying in the middle of Ohio when they really wanted to get to the Pacific Ocean because it's too hard. So. What advice do you have about people starting this journey? How to keep the faith, keep moving, keep going. And then what are the markers that you advise people to use to make sure that they're staying true to the vision and staying on course? One of the big highlights for me, even when I was evangelizing the idea of ABM, you know, for about eight years, was this is not a silver bullet by any stretch. What this is, is what we call the cat process, or let's get the cat out of the bag. If you want to just humor the conversation is clarity, alignment, and trust with your team. So this is go-to-market or, f- or figuring out the go-to-market problems and crystallizing it is really a, an act of trying to be clear about what problems we solve and who we solve for, align, because now we know which area we're gonna focus on, then just build team and trust that can execute on it. That's really what you're doing with this, this transformation. And you're right. It is. It could feel daunting. It could almost feel like, oh my gosh, I got to change the whole thing. We're already way ahead. We're already middle of the plan. Um, there's budget allocated to certain things that I don't think we can pull out of. And there are people that would be involved or addressed or changed because of the, the conversation we're about to have. All that to say is that if you do not adopt the modern go-to-market operating system model in a, in a, or a version of that, Here's what's going to happen in the next 12 months. That is that I can, I'm seeing that happen in front of our eyes right now, where companies are going to stay in their old place and you're just going to work harder and harder and harder and harder. So the trigger for you to see is that, are you working really, really, really hard with absolutely very little to incremental results? You need a change. That's your trigger to, to have it in your organization, why this is important. And the, and, and the milestones for you to check the box so that you know you're on the right direction is really figuring out are we getting clarity on the top priorities or are we still competing on it and are we seeing initial wins and success with some of the motions that you're having if you do not have a milestone aligned with it which is not oh we're going to close 100 deals it's really the milestone is oh we're actually closing these deals a little bit faster a little bit easier and we are feels like it's a it's a happy place we're excited the customer is excited we have this this feeling going on that is what the milestone looks like at this point for companies. So you're the founder CEO of a data analytics company. So share with us some data <laughs> that maybe helps people understand what should I be looking for in terms of KPIs, not specific numbers, but the kind of KPIs I should be zeroing in on because that's what you've been describing. And the next level down would be line it up so that I can go have a conversation with the CFO that says this is really worth the investment and we are making progress. Share with us some of your thoughts on that. 
Absolutely. Two, two key metrics to think about. Number one, if we have, you haven't heard this, I'll be shocked. I mean, and if you're on this podcast, I'm sure this has been talked about is NRR, net revenue retention. If your metrics, if your projects are not aligned with that metric, you don't really understand the business you're in. It's not a flashy metric or anything. It's actually the business metric that has always been there, but never really understood because we were in the heyday of things are just going up into the right. We're going growth. We're going growth crazy. We were obsessed, obsessed with growth, right? So now we're finally in reality striking. We don't have this, uh, this video of this guy at a beach saying, Hey, look at my life. I'm at a, at a beach and I'm, I just made a, we don't have those videos anymore because people right. are like, that's not true. So we're back to reality that we need to grow and we need to grow efficiently. We don't want to be always raising money. We want to have a profitable business. So the number one metric that you need to think about and associate yourself to, no matter what level of role you have, no matter what business unit you work in, no matter what job function you do, is to know how you're impacting this very core metric called NRR, net revenue retention. And, and if you want, I'll just spell that out really in like 10 seconds is, net revenue retention really is allowing you to say that I can close and sell more with this one customer than, than trying to get net new customer. Data point on this one, Mike, really in five years, let's say you did not close any new customer, but if you continue to have 120% NRR, you will double your revenue. I imagine profits will be nearly about the same, right? right. In terms of, yeah, yeah. Think about that, no new customer, and you right. still double your revenue, with 120% NRR. So being right. data geeks, like it should just totally help you sit down and really do the math. Like, is yeah. it real? Like, yeah, go test it out. No new customer, 120% NRR, you double your business. So that's a different mindset. Like that might be yes. you to get yes. so It, it is that. completely, it, it's, it's like getting somebody off of an obsession or an addiction, right? Because yeah. they've been addicted to closing deals at all costs and now, you're right. They're there's they're grown-ups in a room and we have to kind of normalize to a different yeah. business model. Totally. So that's one. The number two is ROI. Our data suggests that over 60% of the companies have no idea how companies would or their customers would talk about their ROI. They talk about ROI in abstract terms, almost to say that, oh, we get 900% ROI from, you know, our customers get 900% ROI from product. Well, if that's true then why are they not growing? Why are they churning, right? If people can see through it that that does not make any sense. So we all have been on this drug of just inflating these numbers and saying a, a, a crazy amount of numbers that doesn't make any sense. Instead, here is, here's another way that we are helping our customers think about it. Vidyard is one of our customers. Uh, when we looked at their data, we talked to their customers, looked at the reviews that they have on G2, we found out that the real reason why their customers buy them is in less than three months, they're able to see value out of their product. That's the leading reason why. They already believe in the video category, but the reason they believe in this company called Video is because within 90 days, they're able to show ROI to their CFO to, and right. they are able to see value out of it. That's the way, that's practical. That's, a, that's not sexy at 10,000% ROI, but it is what your customers really want. That's to what they care about. about, that's right. Yeah. So another one, like Goldcast, another customer of ours, when we looked at their ROI, their events company, we looked at this, the number one reason the customers buy them is not because they're an events company or they're creating amazing ROI for anything. The, the reason they're buying is because their NPS, the experience of the event when they use a platform like Goldcast is amazing. So the NPS is higher than any other competitors. 
That's why they are leading the charge and my customers are buying them. So we have to redefine and think about ROI the way our customers wants to have and wants to have not these inflated numbers, but the reality of what people want. So let's say you're looking around corners, you're spotting trends, you're crystal balling. I'm not gonna ask you for a forecast, but I'm just gonna ask you, what do you see coming 12, 18, 24 months out? What, what, what on this line of path we're going or even broader, what do you see starting to emerge here? Well, to really three big trends. One is on retention, one is on top line, and the other is culture. So retention, I'm seeing this straight up right now for 2023. Companies that are not obsessing over their customers to help them understand ROI properly and teach them to show it up the chain are going to lose a lot of deals in Q4. Absolutely, because the, what's going to happen in Q4 is the CEOs and the board and the CFO is going to say, we need to cut 20% of our tech budget. And if the CFO, CEO have never heard about your technology as being driving that, they, they're just going to cut it. I'm so, seeing that already among my clients right, right now. So you're, yeah. you, you, and Q4 is going to be brutal for that if right. they're not ahead of it. So that's one that's happening already. The number two is what should not happen at this time is your top of the funnel should, should not dry up right now. So it's a red flag for any company where your top of the funnel is drying up because people are right now a little bit sketchy on making the decision to buy certain things. That's okay. If you can be flex on payments, then they, people would still buy you and pay in Q4 or Q1. So you got to be flex on it. We're seeing that work really well. But because they're sketchy and if you, but your top of the funnel gets is drying up right now is really bad news. It's really bad news for you. So you need to figure out how you increase the top of the funnel so that you're in the conversation because people still want to buy. You're still seeing a lot of intent in, in people wanting to buy, but they're just not ready to buy because everything is frozen in some of these companies. And the third part is the culture part. This is, this is really where the heartbeat of all of us is, right? Nobody wants to see people impacted. Nobody wants to see things. But if you're not connecting to ROI, if you're not connecting to NRR, if you're not part of the go-to-market uh, motions, if you want to give like three acronyms to end it, I would say NRR, ROI, and GTM. Like really, really absorb. I love it. Like yeah. this is not a, this is not just, you know, we're sharing the gospel of go-to-market in a way that people understand this is because this is how you're going to make your livelihood better. A year from now, just like ABM is no longer a question, it's like, how, how do you do it? It's not why. GTM is going to be like that. It's yeah. not about why, it's going to be how. So right. get ahead of it and start thinking about how do I do this in my organization? If, if you're still at why, you're already behind the ball game. Start asking the how question more than the why question. So that's a perfect segue to the next question. You're a GTM executive or reality, your CRO, your CMO, or possibly a CMO, or even a CPO. What do you prioritize in, the, in any of those roles you want to pick over the next 12 to 18 months? If you're the CMO of a, of a good mid-sized company, what do you think, what would you be prioritizing right now? I, I, would, I would double down on what we talked about. I'll prioritize okay. my, my, I will look at my demand and I'll, I'll, I'll figure out is, is my budget looking 80% net new demand, 20% uh, retention. If that's my budget mix looks like, which is the reality for many companies, I would switch that. And I will challenge everybody who is in that role to say, maybe it should be 30% net new and 70% retention and expansion. I would change the model of the business. Does, does that thinking then translate, or uh, it's a question slash statement, which is the question is that you think that 
uniformly translates to the rest of the C-suite, so they prioritize around that. So if I'm your counterpart in product, I'm a CPO, then everything I'm planning on the roadmap should be supporting the shift in retention versus new logos, correct? Which is why go-to-market has to be owned by the CEO. Yes, yes. That is, the, you, you're you literally making the case for Amen, that. brother, I get it. No, I totally get it. it. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, you may want to do that, but if your CEO is still saying, no, get me net new, net new leads all day long, and you're seeing that we're bleeding and your product is focusing on new and not for retaining customers, we are, we're creating a leaky bucket in the business all day long. So this is a business conversation. We That's what we say. It's a, it, 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 a lot of people are in, in the business of, uh, like marketers, are in the business of marketing, meaning they are great at demand. They're great at product marketing. They're great at lead generation. But what we all want people to do and think about is that you, you want to be in the, it, not just marketing the business, but in the business itself. You want to get in and understand what are my core fee, core things that make our business tick. Now, all of us are need to have need to start become business leaders, specializing in marketing or sales or product, not product leaders who happen to be a business job. Right. It's the opposite of what we are actually doing. The reality is, everybody needs to take a crash course on what is our business all about. Go talk to the board member. Go talk to the CEO and say, what, you, what is EBITDA? Like, you should know what all of these things mean. What is our gross margin? What is our, like, overall run rate look like? These are conversations that people shy away from and think that it's a CEO, CFO thing. No, it is your job is on the line if you That's don't right. take this seriously. Sangram, I have to ask this question, and I'm going to preface it with a comment. I said earlier I was going to touch on this. So when I asked you when the first time we talked, what'd you do for vacation? You described something to me and I'd like you to share it right now. Sure if thing. you remember that conversation. Yeah, you I think I was coming back from a mission trip, probably. Yeah, I was. Uh, we do this as a family. We do a mission trip. From last two years, we've been going to DR, Dominican Republic. Uh, we feel like God has given us the heart for, for that region. We love the people, the conversations we have. We share the gospel. I'm a believer. I, I believe in Jesus. Um, so everything I do, I look at that from a lens uh, of how we serve, how we do things. Uh, in, but as a team, as a company, we pray uh, before we do a lot of these things. And I think that's that's the core. If you were to ask me who I am, I'm, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. So now let me ask you another question. Where do you turn to inside industry, outside industry for inspiration? How do you keep yourself energized and that power that you exude just even though we're not in the same place i can feel your energy how do you how do you sustain that and as i've been humbled through many experiences in life i realized that i am a vessel for god so i'm, I'm trying to use any and all the gifts that i've given to me and saying well, how do i help more people to do things better which has led me on this journey of all right Make go to the, through go-to-market operating system. The lens that I have is that if we can help many com more companies to use and adopt this, they will become better. They will create more jobs. They will create more livelihood, and it helps them to see it. So what drives me everything every day is really the idea that are we making the world better than than they than it was, but also the world that I want to live in, the world that I want my kids to live in, the world that I think Christ wanted us to be, which when he created, he said, everything is good. Like, what, like there, there's this free will that that sometimes and a lot of times I have abused. I want to go back and say, you know what? I want to use this now for the right reasons. And, and that's what drives me. Okay. 
Sangram, how do people get in touch with you? If they want to find out more about you, they want to find out more about the GTM partners, you've got a fair amount of content out there. You you share with that. What's the best way to reach out to you? Oh, two twofold, and, and I can drop in the links that we can in the show notes later. One is um, we will I, do that uh, on LinkedIn. I would that's one place where I drop something new every every day, either my thoughts or ideas, because we're just talking to so many, just like you, like just hearing. And I'm I'm a sharer. I'm a documenter. I just like to do that, um, and I feel like that's that's been a gift to me. Um, the other one is every Monday, we call it GTM Monday. So on gtmmonday.substack.com. I'm a subscriber. It's, 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 a, good, it's a good good collection of content. Yes. Yeah, we're democratizing. We, we don't want to be another analyst firm who just charges for the content. No, this is our mind. This is our thoughts. We want more companies. We, there's no way we can work with every company in the world. So we want to use this and give information. So when people can't afford us or do it, use it. And if you can apply it, do it in your organization. If you need us, let us know. We'll help you. Uh, but we're democratizing how we create content and share that. Sangram, thank you very much. Much appreciated. This has been a powerful conversation. I thank you for that. And I want to say to the audience, thank you for listening. We appreciate your reviews. We appreciate your comments. We care about what you think. Give us the feedback and we'll make the adjustment. Thank you. This has been Go to Market Disruptive. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Egress Solutions, head on over to www.egresssolutions.net.